to the responsibility to protect. Words kill. All societies are potentially vulnerable. Possibly crimes. Timely and appropriate actions. Welcome to Expert Voices on Atrocity Prevention by the Global Center for the Responsibility to Protect. I'm Jacqueline Streifeld-Hall, Research Director at the Global Center. This podcast features one-on-one conversations with practitioners from the fields of human rights, conflict prevention, and atrocity prevention. These conversations will give us a glimpse of the personal and professional side of how practitioners approach human rights protection and atrocity prevention, allowing us to explore challenges, identify best practices, and share lessons learned on how we can protect populations more effectively. I'm here today with Ahmad Khalmi, co-founder and manager of the Tafi Initiative. Thank you for joining us today, Ahmad. Hi, Jasmine. Thank you for, for hosting me. I just wanted to get started by asking, as a Syrian human rights defender, what led you to founding your organization? Uh, th- that is that is a long story, but I, I myself, I was, I was an activist since the beginning of the Syrian revolution in 2011 and I had a I, I, I would call it a brother in arm even though that we were both nonviolent uh, person and we used to share every moment uh, used to cry on every after every demonstration we organized uh, I remember one of the demonstrations we organized when we had over a 10,000 participant in that demonstration. We were standing at some over some car to, to watch the huge numbers, and we both cried at that moment. Uh, he's my best friend, and he was kidnapped, disappeared uh, by, by the Syrian regime in July 2011 uh, uh, and I continued um, fighting for for the same cause we we were fighting for together uh, for a democratic Syria that respects the human rights and and he was he was taken to the to the Sydney prison which is the worst prison on on earth uh, at the moment uh, after that I was myself uh, detained or kidnapped and disappeared by the Syrian regime as well uh, due to my nonviolence activism and I spent three years in in prison when I was went out uh, the only concern that I had in mind is the fate of my best friend uh, his name is Islam. And I kept um, waiting for him. When I was uh, persecuted again uh, mm-hmm. by the Syrian regime, uh, I had to, to flee to Turkey. And all I had in mind is the moment when my best friend Islam will be released and will be out. And the fact that I need to prepare uh, for his release, and I started. Then I started the the Taafi Initiative, which supports survivors of for disappearance and torture uh, to continue their activism, to continue fighting for justice and for human rights uh, for Syria. 
So I I started this initiative and in, on the premises that someday my best friend will be out and he will find the support that will allow him to peacefully continue uh, fighting for for justice and accountability. Your initiative describes itself as being survivor led and survivor centered, which you know this your um, its sort of origins, as you've explained, are very personal to you. Uh, could you tell us more about the mission and work of Tafi Initiative? Yeah, uh, actually, all of like myself, uh, our team, our board, uh, all of uh, our members are survivors of uh, detention, informed disappearance, and torture. And you will like hear me uh, repeating those those three crimes uh, over and over again during this uh, episode, because in Syria, those crimes are interlinked, interrelated, and they all happen together. So almost every detainee is a, have been disappeared or is going to be disappeared and a victim of uh, of torture. So our mission is to 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 at point some point uh, achieve justice and accountability for Syria, to build a future for Syria that is built on on democracy, on the values of democracy, human rights, where no one will. Uh, will be subjected to enforced disappearance and torture to make sure that whatever happened to us is not going to happen to anyone else uh, in, in the future of Syria, to give a meaning to the, uh, to the meaningless torture and, and atrocities that we have um, gone through. What does survivor-centered justice look like to you? Like generally speaking, in Syria, since the beginning of the revolution, whenever we hear the word justice, we hear uh, we always get referred to to criminal accountability. Uh, justice have always been for us as a criminal accountability. But when we organize ourselves as a survivors movement, and when we joined. Uh, or we uh, initiated, started a movement of families association. Uh, we called ourselves the Truth and Justice Charter Group, which include 10 Syrian families and survivors association. And when we started to think what justice is for us, we came up with a definition different than uh, uh, only criminal accountability. Uh, with a definition based on uh, priorities that we see fits our uh, satisfaction build-up toward uh, justice and toward a, a transitional justice. It's not one thing. Uh, for us, um, victim-centered or survivor-centered justice is something based on what those who need justice, those who have, <laughs> who are the, the direct uh, victims of the atrocities, how do they define justice? For us, the definition of justice is something like uh, the, the battery on your phone 
uh, that you charge it and you build it uh, 1% by 1% until you achieve the 100%, right? So for us, justice constitutes many steps that starts with the first priority in Syria as to reveal the fate and whereabouts of the missing, to stop torture, to stop the injudicial uh, courts, while on the long term, uh, the, the, the changes in laws and practices, uh, the guarantees of non-reoccurrences and, and criminal accountability, uh, reparation and remedy for victims. But it is all together to build the satisfactions uh, of, of the satisfaction of victims and for the Syrian society to move from conflict to, to, to a sustainable peace for Syria. And for me personally, justice is to give a meaning to whatever I have gone through. Because if you think about it, you can't find the meaning of how can um, a human being torture another human being in this way for that long of, uh, of time, looking there, looking at, at them in the eyes, it doesn't make sense. You can't, you can't find an answer of why. Why did this happen to me? Why is this happening for us as victims of torture? But when you know that your journey will lead to, to, to guarantees that what happened to you will never happen to others, it will have a meaning. Whatever I have been through will have a meaning and I will be fine with it. You know, it's it's so moving how you frame it as being not just about criminal accountability. It's about something much bigger and accountability looks like something that goes beyond just, just punishment of someone who committed a crime. Since you just mentioned the Truth and Justice Charter, uh, I know that Tafi is one of the founding members. Could you explain the background of the charter and how it was written and, and what it calls for? In 2019, uh, Tafi and three other organizations uh, or, or families association from the, the founders of the Truth and Justice Charter who were doing a campaign in Brussels, uh, around Brussels Conference, and we were meeting the, U- the UN Syria Special Envoy uh, at the beginning of his mandate, Mr. Gil Bederson. And we found that we have, there is a kind of synergy between, between us. There is uh, this kind of, we finish each other, each other uh, sentences. So, for example, when I talk about uh, the... the what is happening inside the prisons? Maryam um, Halak from Caesar Families Association. She she finishes my sentence talking about what the families are uh, facing outside the prison. So we 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 draw a holistic picture of what is happening in those dungeons in in Syria. And since that uh, campaign, we started to coordinate with, with each other and to communicate with each other uh, with, with each other even more to a point that we came uh, to we came to a point that we said um, we don't need to uh, discuss our tasks and our priorities 
period to each campaign and each meeting. Why not to set our vision for justice or our demands? You know, we started with a, a simple demands uh, paper, and we and it evolved during fights, conflicts, arguments, discussions, and. The, the, the document evolved into what we call now the Truth and Justice Charter and our relationships evolved into becoming one kind of uh, family, you know. Uh, we started as five uh, associations of families and survivors and now we are 10 and we have this kind of bond, you know. This kind of, uh, we feel, this. we, we have this, unbreakable bond uh, because we share the same uh, hopes, we share, we share the same pain. Uh, I can relate to whatever um, a mother in, the, in, the, in, in one of the associations uh, is feeling toward her disappeared beloved one and she can relate to, to whatever I have uh, been through. So it evolved and we came up with uh, with this final form of the Truth and Justice Charter, which is our vision for um, future justice and accountability, uh, transitional justice process for Syria. What we what what new we brought in that charter is we we set our priorities for justice and accountability. We said that our first and main and, and, and priority is to reveal the fate and whereabouts of, of uh, the disappeared in Syria and to immediately stop torture. And we set a, a short-term justice, a mid-term justice, and long-term justice. We know that criminal accountability doesn't happen overnight. Uh, guarantees of non occurrences, changes in laws and practices, it takes time, you know, and memorialization effort, it takes time. So that is on the long term, we work on it. While on the short term and on the immediate term, which also doesn't happen overnight, but we want to to, to, to know the fates and whereabouts of, of our beloved ones and to stop torture immediately. Um, yeah, so this is how, how the, the Northern Justice Charter evolved. And uh, now we work on, on different campaigns, on a long-term campaigns together. We, together we came up with a proposal on the international community to establish a new institution that will work on revealing the fate and whereabouts of the missing, which is our first priority. And we have been campaigning for that for almost three years. I know that... Um... The idea for a mechanism like that has been endorsed by the UN Commission of Inquiry, uh, as well as recently a, a UN Secretary General's report. Are you hopeful now that such an institution will be established? And, and what do you hope that kind of mechanism will look like and do? Mm, I mean, hope is a, danger, a dangerous uh, concept because I don't know, like, you feel like hope will keep you waiting and hoping. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, but for us, it's not a hope. It's it's mandatory thing. And we will not stop until we get there. And there is something known about families and victims associations that we are hard-headed and we are annoying. And we, like, for, for a mother who 
kept fighting to find the, the fate of her son, she will never stop. Like Fadwa Mahmoud, she have been waiting for to know any answer about her uh, son and her husband uh, for 10 years now or 11 years now. And she never lost hope. So it's it's for her. It's not it's not hope. It's it's a fight that will end by us getting what we want. Uh, and so yeah, it's not hope. It's gonna happen sooner or later. We have uh, the the international uh, interest and the intention, the attention, and we have uh, uh, the momentum now. And we have paved, paved the, the, the road toward building this institution. And what we are still waiting is only the technicalities of um, UN member states to come, to come together and to ta- table a resolution that will create such an institution. When it comes to what is going to do, uh, to be honest, after 12 or 30, 12 years of the Syrian conflict, there is almost zero effort have been done on the search. The Syrian civil society have made a huge effort and advancement on the criminal accountability front. And we have seen that in practice and in test uh, within the Koblenz trials where the, the German court uh, sentenced a mid-range Syrian official uh, general who used to torture uh, people and used to commit crimes against humanity, and that proves that we we not we can not only hold the biggest criminals uh, accountable for their crimes, not also not only the the smallest ranks, but we can. Like we, we have enough evidences to hold the whole uh, system accountable uh, to their to their crimes. Yet, on the front of the search, there is almost zero effort have been done. And we hope, or we are willing to make this institution to start the search, to start the process of the search, to provide uh, answers to to the families, to to provide. Uh, to track those uh, disappeared and to provide answers to the families in the coming years. It doesn't, it's not going to happen also overnight. Nothing in, 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 in the mentality of justice happens overnight. We know it takes time, but we need it to start at least. You've made reference to, you know, the fact that you've joined together many groups of families um, and you know, with this need for a search, I'm wondering if for those who aren't familiar with the many layers of the conflict in Syria, can you give a sense of the scope of um, how many people are are missing and detained and, and potentially being subjected to torture? I mean, there is a very shy um, number but it was it is based on documentation uh, by by the Syrian Network for Human Rights, a documentation organization. Uh, they have documented hundred twenty thousand uh, disappeared in Syria, 
and those are not the num- those this is the number of the disappeared at the moment that they could document we know that the numbers is even more than that way more than that uh, but th- that all on, only answered the question of the number of disappeared not the number of the those who have been subjected to torture because there are also uh, thousands of survivors who have been subjected to torture so the, the numbers uh, goes like it skyrockets with with that with that question and this scale of uh, enforced disappearance is unprecedented worldwide since the world war ii uh, and uh, it's it's the most complicated issue in syria and it's the biggest barrier to any future peace or future uh, peace talks uh, or current peace talks in, in, in Syria. As we enter the, the 13th year of the crisis in Syria, wh- what are your reflections on um, the past 12 years and particularly the role of the international community in the Syrian conflict? 12 years is is long time and if you if you measure it with with the conflict time it's even longer you know i've left i've i've spent 3 years of my life in prison and for me it feels like 10 years so if you ask me about my age now i feel like i'm 40 and I think I'm, I have the wisdom of uh, of 20, uh, 20 years old uh, person. Uh, but 12 years is, is a long time. And the international community, to be honest, have done nothing but, but financial support. We haven't seen any real uh, political willingness to end the conflict and we we know that this, the, the international community have have made lots of donations and funding programs to Syria but you know fund without political will doesn't end a conflict uh, and at some point I thought that this is the capacity of the international uh, community uh, you know, this is their limitation. But when the Ukrainian, uh, the Russian uh, invasion to Ukraine happened, we saw that this is not the real limitation. We saw what is the best, the best practices is, and we were shocked uh, by by the by the reaction of the international community. I'm I'm very happy that the, with the, the reaction on the on the uh, Russian Ukrainian conflict, but it is disappointing to see to see that is not is not the the, the common practice. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 devastating. Uh, absolutely, I mean, it's incredibly frustrating to to see everything that you've been told for a decade can't happen 
suddenly magically uh, like moving mountains over the course of, you know, two months when Ukraine first started. Um, and I can say that it's frustrating to us from the perspective of an atrocity prevention organization. And I can I can't even imagine what it's like as um, a survivor of atrocities and someone who's actually, you know, living through a situation where atrocities are still ongoing, your family and friends are still affected, and um, still there's no movement. You know, I think I think one thing we've seen a lot throughout the Syrian conflict, which maybe speaks to what you're saying about there's been a lot of funding but no political will to actually do much, is this sort of great power politics play out. Um, the Syrian conflict, you know, a lot of... Um, what we've witnessed from the international community and the lack of action often comes from these tensions within the Security Council. And I think one of the problems with that perspective is that um, there aren't a lot of voices of survivors in uh, Security Council conversations. Um, So I'm wondering, how can the international community better support Syrian survivors from your perspective and the actual Syrian populations um, who are most affected by this conflict? I mean, we need we need a real political will to, to end the conflict. And we need the international community to see the Syrian conflict not as a conflict a way, way, far, far away, you know, not a conflict in the Middle East where the conflict always happens. It's the the, the devastating outcomes of the, the Syrian conflict have directly influenced um, the whole um, the whole world, you know, because the, the the impunity that Russia have enjoyed after the atrocities it did she it did in in ukraine in 2014 and in syria since 2015 have uh, have 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 spread you know the culture of impunity have spread in, in in the region and around the world and that made made it easy for russia to know that they can invade ukraine and they can commit crimes against humanity and nothing will happen and now we, we we see the results in every single household you know no one is not affected by by the gas prices by the food crisis uh, by every outcome of of the the russian invasion to to ukraine and you can't delink it from the syrian conflict it's 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 the same mentality and it's just just one two three uh, equation. Um, yeah. So how would, would they support? To be honest, at a short term, the support of the the new inter- international institution that we have been calling for is essential. It will uh, provide a short term and long term. A contribution to satisfaction, to justice, to 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 end the conflict in Syria. While on the long term, mm, criminals should know that impunity is not uh, is not it does not it does not exist. Accountability will happen someday. 
And at the moment, mm, that is not the case. You remember how I started when I to- told you why I started this Ta'afi initiative to, su- like, to support my friend and those who I've left behind in prison, you know, and this to... to, to uh, and we call it Ta'afi because it means recovery, because those who are still in prison are the chances to for Syria to recover from the, the 12 years of, of conflict. Uh, my best friend, Islam, uh, who, who I started Ta'afi initiative to support him when he is out, and in 2017, um, I I was like I I met my my girlfriend and we were planning a wedding and I was postponing my wedding, waiting for him to get out. In 2018, we received the call saying that the Syrian regime have issued a, a certificate for Islam, and he didn't get out, and we still don't have his remains. And after seven years of waiting for him, it appeared that he died in 2013. And yeah, and we only knew by 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 chance, by by coincidence, after after seven year, five years of of his execution. Um. So it's it's. The, the, the establishment of, of the new institution is not a luxury. It's, it's essential for, for Syria. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Expert Voices on Atrocity Prevention. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Spotify, and we'll be grateful if you left us a review. For more information on the Global Center's work on R2P, mass atrocity prevention, and populations at risk of mass atrocities, visit our website at www.globalr2p.org and connect with us on Twitter and Facebook at GCR2P.